An eruption of gang violence and an innocent victim. And he just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. Questions about how the gunman got away after firing shots at RCMP. Post-pandemic reopening plans. It's not going to be just based on immunization, but that will be one of the important factors. After Saskatchewan sets clear vaccination milestones, many wonder if BC will too. And Trina Hunt's family reveals new details about her movements before her murder. The part that makes no sense for me is the drive to hope on the Saturday. In an exclusive interview, their message to the killer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Lower Mainland gang war is escalating. The violence now reaching a disturbing new level with two deadly shootings over the weekend. Those shootings also sent one innocent victim to hospital and saw suspects open fire on police as they fled. Amata Gahi begins our coverage with the shooting at Vancouver International Airport, which has made international headlines. High speed chase behind me. It's likely you'd have the same reaction. Holy as this witness watching some of the most brazen and reckless behavior police officers in the Lower Mainland have seen in some time. No police officer wants to disengage in a pursuit in those instances unless there is an appreciable risk to public safety and, and we have to take that into consideration. Those officers chasing a speeding vehicle through the streets of Richmond. The pursuit ending when suspects fired bullets at police to break away. Once suspects show that they are willing to go to blatant acts of violence to eliminate a pursuit, we the police then have a responsibility to everybody. Not only our officers that are in pursuit, but to everybody on the roadway that day. Moments earlier, someone in that same vehicle is believed to have also pulled the trigger, killing a 28-year-old gangster steps from an entrance to the airport terminal, putting Metro Vancouver's surging gang conflict in international headlines. We're at a crisis point right now. A lot of the disputes that have been taking place are related to some of the drug distribution here, some of the territorial, some of the drug lines. The troubling and most recent string of gun violence starting on Saturday, May 1st, with the targeted killing of BC Correctional Officer Bikrandeep Randawa outside a shopping center in Delta. Sunday, May 2nd, a 25-year-old woman gunned down in Burnaby. Her condition, serious at first, now stable. A man in his 40s arrested and charged. The following Monday, May 3rd, more chaos and gunshots, this time outside of a Toys R Us at Willowbrook Mall in Langley. The victim, a man with potential life-threatening injuries. Then Saturday, May 8th, the brutal close-range shooting of 19-year-old Tony DeLippi outside a Burnaby vape shop, also injuring an innocent bystander. And then Sunday night shooting at YVR, killing Carmen Grewal and the wild police pursuit that followed. We will get control of the situation as we've shown in the past. And it's our responsibility and it rests on our shoulders to ensure that our public feels safe and that we put an end to this gang violence, and we will. All right, Ahmad Agahi is live at Vancouver International Airport for us tonight. Just a shocking scene there last night, but Ahmad, it's back to normal now. That's right. The last of the police tape came down within the last hour or so in that international departures terminal here at YVR, more or less back to normal. Also worth noting, as you know, the airport is a much quieter place these days with not as much travel happening during the pandemic. And in this case, that certainly proved to be a blessing with not many innocent bystanders around at the time of the shooting.
If there is a blessing, that's the only one. Thanks very much, Ahmad. Well, today we also learned an innocent bystander was struck by a bullet during that brazen shooting in Burnaby on Saturday night. Let's bring in our Grace Key now for more on that part of the story. And Grace, this is exactly what so many people have been fearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've heard it so many times again that, yeah, some of these shootings may be targeted, but there is always a risk to bystanders. So we're just along the area of the shooting in Burnaby, just on 6th Street near 13th Avenue. As you can see, it's a busy thoroughfare. There's uh, businesses here and certainly lots of uh, people walking along this area here. So lots of foot traffic. Dash cam video shows at least three people and the victim in the line of fire. One person is walking away further down the street and two appear to be closer to the victim. Now, it's unclear who got hit, but you can hear five shots were fired. We know at least one of those shots hit an innocent bystander. That person made his way to the hospital, and he is expected to recover. As police, we share your anger and your frustration. Here in Burnaby, it also troubles me that an innocent bystander has been injured by gunfire. This violence should not be happening in our streets. I want to assure the public that we're doing everything that we can to stop this. What happened this weekend is immensely troubling for all of us, and it's simply not acceptable. So the intended target has been identified. He was 19-year-old Tony DeLipi, and police have made an arrest. That person, 20-year-old Amid Tahir, now he has been charged with first-degree murder. Police are saying both of them do have uh, criminal affiliations, but it's unclear right now if uh, the shooting is related to the ongoing gang conflict we've been seeing in the Lower Mainland. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key and Burnaby for us tonight. Well, police have indicated they know who the gangsters are and they know which groups are in conflict. But despite that knowledge, the shootings keep happening. So what other tools do police have to turn up the heat on those involved and stop the violence? Catherine Urquhart has that part of the story. Four years ago, Surrey RCMP released this poster saying all five men were on hit lists. Police warned the public to stay away from them. Carmen Graywall was among those named. He was assassinated Sunday at the Vancouver airport. Now, amid this troubling escalation in violence, there are renewed calls for gangsters to be named publicly. I support uh, telling the public what's going on, putting out pictures of the guys involved totally. Revealing names and faces of gang associates is unusual. Typically, it's not done due to privacy laws. But sometimes the interests of public safety come first. There are exceptions to that rule, uh, and we take those exceptions quite seriously because there are penalties if we violate them. But where possible, when we are aware of specific individuals that either are a threat or under threat, we will take those measures, yes. BC Solicitor General is not ruling out the possibility of naming individuals. I think we need to use all the tools that we have available to us uh, to deal with the, uh, the gang uh, upsurge in violence that we've seen in the Lower Mainland. And the, uh, the police have a significant uh, number of tools available to do that. The naming tactic will surely come up for discussion when the Solicitor General meets with Metro Vancouver Police Chiefs on Thursday. Preventative measures likely to be on the table as well. I think we have to educate kids through the schools, Having officers there, they call on us, we come in and talk to them about gangs, and uh, we get ex-gang members to come and speak to the kids about it, so it's real. 
a new poster of gang associates, perhaps coming in the days ahead, as police struggle to tamp down the escalating gang warfare in Metro Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, turning to COVID-19 in our province now. And there's good news and not so good news today. We'll start with the good. Case counts are lower today. We've had 1,759 new cases over a three-day period. That brings BC's total to just over 136,000, with 6,140 of those cases active. Hospital numbers are down 415 patients right now, 150 of them in the ICU. Now the sad news, 20 more people have died. That means we have now lost 1,622 people to complications of the virus. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. Keith, 20 deaths. That's hard to hear, but Mm -hmm. what about the overall picture in B.C.? Things are actually improving. They're improving significantly. It is tragic 20 people died, but our mortality rate, the number of people dying, has really not changed for a number of weeks now. Other health indicator, COVID indicators, are looking better. Take a look at this. Daily case numbers are starting to drop significantly. They're down 180 since April alone. That's on a rolling seven-day average. Our positivity test rate is down three percentage points in one month. That's great news. In fact, it's below 10% in Fraser Health for the first time in a long time. Hospitalization rate is dropping 96 fewer cases in the last 10 days in terms of overnight stays. But as good as these indicators are, Health Minister Adrian Dix today pointed out, uh, still not good enough to take our foot off the pedal here. We've got to keep going with public health measures and protocols being followed. Here's Adrian Dix. We've got to live very much in the present right now. And that means following public health orders, following public health guidance, getting registered and getting vaccinated. If we, if we can do that now, it opens up opportunities later. But we've got to remember the present is not the opening up. The present are the orders that are in place, the guidance that is in place, sticking local and, uh, and doing everything you can and getting vaccinated, getting registered and getting vaccinated. Yeah, that can't be said often enough. Get registered and get vaccinated. We've got a lot of vaccines coming into the VC of starting tonight. People age 40 and over can start booking appointments. And next week, the expectation is people in their 30s can get their vaccination. Back to the number of people who died over the weekend, Sophie, 20 people. Uh, again, not everyone is elderly. 15 of those people were over the age of 70, but two of them uh, were in their 40s and two people were in their 50s. Again, another more evidence. No one is immune from the worst outcome of getting this virus, which means we have to do what we can and that includes getting registered and getting vaccinated as soon as you can it's easy to do all right thanks for that keith well it was very slow out of the gate but as bc's vaccination effort accelerates seemingly by the day more people are wondering about our post-pandemic life saskatchewan has already laid out its step-by-step plan including vaccination milestones and as richard zisman reports dr henry was asked today if bc will follow suit each COVID-19 vaccine one step closer to a return to normal. As the number of people being immunized increases and our immunity catches up after several weeks, we will be able to, to start thinking about our post-pandemic future. What does the pandemic future look like? Saskatchewan, they're laying it out. The Prairie Province unveiling a full reopening plan. They are closing it on step one. Three weeks after more than 70% of those 40 plus have one shot, meaning by the end of May, they'll dine indoors, have in-person religious gatherings with capacity and resume group fitness classes. One of the things we want to get back to uh, as soon as it's safe 
to do so is indoor dining. British Columbia doesn't have a plan yet, while Saskatchewan looks far down the road. Step two is three weeks after 70% of 30-year-olds plus get vaccinated. That step means no capacity for retail, no table capacity for restaurants, and 150-person maximum capacity for events and other facilities. We will be looking at a vision of where our post-pandemic world is going to be, recognizing that this virus is going to be with us for some time. We don't know how long. It then gives uh, businesses and, and all of us, frankly, some certainty about what post-pandemic British Columbia might look like. BC's restaurant industry says they need a plan, not just to get staff and food ready, but also for hope. I would think it'd be just terrific for BC to have that both from a motivational point of view and something to look forward to. We see also reiterating immunization alone won't get us through. And the details for a Made in BC plan could come as soon as this Thursday. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Trina Hunt's family is sharing details of the days before she disappeared. The unusual activities that add to the murder mystery and their message to whoever killed her coming up next on the NewsHour. Born to ride, a toddler tearing up the track in Nanaimo. That story coming up on the News Hour. And a sure sign that summer isn't far off. Time for torture as the grouse grind officially reopens. Right now, though, for the very first time, the family of Trina Hunt is sharing what they've learned about her movements right before she disappeared. Hunt's body was found near Hope after an exhaustive search. Romina Dea now with this Global News exclusive. It's a cold Monday morning, March 29th, when human remains are discovered south of Silver Creek in Hope. And my heart just dropped and we were just on edge all week waiting for information. But another 32 days pass before Trina Hunt's family is told the remains found in Hope are Trina's. It was just anger like I've never felt before. There was like, there was no love left in my heart that day. It's been almost four months since 48-year-old Trina vanished. Friday, January 15th, Trina is texting with a good friend from Ontario. They talk about setting up a virtual cocktail over the weekend. Saturday, Trina gets a text from a former coworker, no response. Sunday, the former colleague finally gets a reply just before 5 p.m. I'm trying a digital detox. Haven't touched the phone all weekend, reads the text. Fast forward to Monday when Trina's husband, Ian, reports her missing. According to police, he's the last person to see her at their Port Moody home early that morning before leaving for work. When Ian returns... The front door was unlocked. The, the alarm was unset. And then, yeah, her keys, wallet, cell phone, car was all was all there, but not her. A massive search is launched. Trina's cousins say it makes no sense she'd walk away from her life. Trina was recently retired. No financial, marital or mental health issues that anyone is aware of. The digital detox text message sent from Trina's phone back in January. Odd, says her cousin. I think it's... Uh possible that it wasn't her. 
During a family meeting, Stephanie Ibbett says Trina's husband explains. The digital detox came up and it was just said that she had needed a break from COVID and Trump on the news and they decided to take the weekend away from their cell phones. For the for that to be the you know, the precursor to her going missing, it just seems strange. There's no question. <laughs> Ibbett says Ian told the family he and Trina went to hope two days before she was reported missing. They would go on long drives with purpose, such as going to the dairy farm, um, but they went to Hope to revisit a campground that they had visited in their 20s. The part that makes no sense for me is the is the drive to Hope on the Saturday without cell phones, and then she is found in Hope. We heard that he took a lie detector. Is this true? Do you have any information on that? He, he told us that he took one, and he passed. We reached out to Ian. No response. Police initially said there was no evidence of foul play. Now it's a homicide investigation. No charges have been laid. I hit stating Monday there's no update in the case. I know these things take time, um, and I know they can't share with us every single thing that they got because obviously that would, wouldn't be right. So I, I just I, I have to have faith and trust that, that, that they're doing what they need to do. Trina's cousins grateful to every single person for their help and support. But they're asking the public to dig deep again, this time for any information about anything suspicious in the Hope area the weekend of January 16th. Finally, one last plea. The person that did this needs to come forward and they need to put an end to this because they're not going to escape it. It's, it's time to put an end to the suffering, the indignity done to Trina, it's time to come forward and to do the right thing. Romina Dea, Global News. Still ahead, the vaccine rollout putting BCs to shame. You're going in for your second shot? Yeah. The differences in Washington State's supply and distribution and how it's bringing optimism back to Seattle. And with American and European air travel flying high already, Canada's is left on the tarmac. What will it take to take off? While thousands of British Columbians wait for their chance to book their shots south of the border in Washington state, the vaccination program is months ahead. Paul Johnson tells us why anyone who wants a shot can get one. No appointment necessary. What do you do when your problem is abundant vaccine, but a dwindling number of arms to get it into? How about take me out to the ball game? I've been contemplating not doing it, but when it's in your face and it's free, you're the first person in line, why not? In Seattle, the Mariners baseball team is now offering a free vaccine to any fan at a home game who wants one. So we had Tuesday and Wednesday, and Seattle Fire said that they will be able to provide the personnel and the doses for every Mariners home game until further notice. Across town in the Ballard neighborhood, business is brisk at the complex of outdoor restaurant seating that sprung up over the past year. The Washington state is currently dealing with a fourth wave. There's a sense that this one will be manageable, and it's all because of the vaccines. I just got my second dose last weekend, actually. 28-year-old Kara is a manager at Amazon. I want to go back to normal, and I think it's the best way to do so, and I want to go see my parents. 
It was incredibly easy for me to, to get both shots. Over at Sonic Boom Records, owner Mike Pitt says if there's any issue with vaccine hesitancy, he hasn't seen it among his staff. I have four that are under the age of 30. They're all vaccinated, um, and they were eager to, to make that happen. There's been an unmistakable shift in collective mood since we were down here last fall, with many telling us the vaccine rollout has done a lot to restore their faith in America's can-do spirit, giving them much more optimism about how the country's poised to deal with the pandemic in the coming months. Good luck. Part of the success comes from well-organized vaccine clinics like this one, run by the Seattle Fire Department, now offering no-appointment shots to anyone over the age of 16. I'm about to get my second shot of Pfizer. That's where we met Nimu Abdi, fully vaccinated at 19, and ready to bust any stereotypes about vaccine hesitancy. I feel really good that I took the opportunity when it presented itself. And I just hope that a lot more people get vaccinated as time goes on. In Seattle, Paul Johnson, Global News. And the U.K. is giving us a glimpse of what travel might look like in a post-COVID world. Britain is lifting restrictions on flights to and from certain countries based on COVID numbers and immunization rates. As Ted Chernecki reports, the Canadian airline industry says we need a similar plan here if our industry is going to survive. Airports in America and Europe are ramping up. The UK has been leading the way in telling the airlines and the traveling public about its go-forward plan. It has a red, yellow and green system, and green means go. Starting next week, returning from any of about 10 countries, including Portugal and Australia, means no quarantine required upon re-entering the UK. Canada is on the yellow list, meaning don't go there. Right now, our domestic network, our transborder network and international network are all pretty well shut down. We're at 10% capacity of what we were in 2019, whereas the U.S. is already reaching 70, 80% of capacity of where they were in 2019. So we definitely need a plan like the U.K. has a go-forward plan. YVR lost $380 million in 2020, but it's more than the airports who are being held hostage by a slow vaccine rollout and a lack of clear government go-forward plans. Tourism is losing out already as vacation-starved travelers fly elsewhere. There's a dizzying array of, of moving parts that all have to come together in, in a seamless, basically a seamless web if we're going to do a safe restart of the sector. So we, we, need to get to, we need to get that plan done. Even with business taking off in the UK and States, YVR has always said it could take three years or more to get back to normal. Meanwhile, the airline industry awaits direction from Ottawa. There's nothing new under the sun. We know all the issues that have to be addressed, but we need the government to work with industry uh, to complete the plan and then convey it very clearly to the traveling public. Canadians can only look on in envy as the UK confirms today that restrictions will ease next week, allowing for indoor dining, movie theaters, sporting events, and more. Ted Chernacki, Global News. One day we'll get there. Let's hope. <laughs> Up next, a day of action to stop anti-Asian hate. Thank you so much. Appreciate your support. Events to restore Metro Vancouver's shameful reputation for anti-Asian crime. Also coming up, future boosters. Why COVID vaccinations might be necessary far beyond your second shot. 
Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. A three-alarm fire in Surrey has sent one person to hospital. The resident was rushed to hospital with undetermined injuries. The fire broke out in a second-floor apartment just after 11 o'clock this morning near 98th Avenue and 138th Street. The building is a mixed commercial and residential structure. Flames spread to nearby units, and in all, 33 firefighters and 11 vehicles responded to keep the fire contained. Originally, the fire came in as a first alarm, but when uh, the firefighters arrived on scene, they quickly upgraded to a second alarm. And because of uh, the residential and commercial uh, structure that the fire was in, they upgraded it to a third to get more manpower. Crews are still monitoring the area for hot spots. No cause has been identified so far. Rallies across Metro Vancouver mark today's National Day of Action Against Anti-Asian Racism. The event coming just days after Bloomberg Media dubbed Vancouver the anti-Asian hate crime capital of North America. As John Hua reports, research shows the problem is only getting worse. Take the camera away, goof. You're going to have to Verbally abused and violently attacked. When they go out, they worry about being harassed. The Asian community is caught between the crosshairs of racism and hate. Now members and allies have come together at rallies in Vancouver, Port Moody, Richmond, throughout BC and across Canada to mark the National Day of Action against anti-Asian racism. We have to do something about it. And we cannot keep silent. We have to speak up. It comes on the heels of a heartbreaking declaration. Bloomberg recently dubbing Vancouver the anti-Asian hate crime capital of North America. I was quite heartbroken to see that, that uh, there is so much hidden hatred. And it makes me worried for my family. The fear is real. A lingering sense that hatred is always there simmering, just waiting for an excuse to boil over. Housing unaffordability, a global pandemic. Just some of the reasons being used to blanket an entire race, culture and community in blame. Everyone get out here and stand up because we live here. These are our neighbors, our friends. It's something that's on my mind constantly. I know my mom and my grandma, I'm very concerned for them. According to an Insights West poll last month, 43% of Asian British Columbians polled have experienced some form of racism in the last year. 87% said it's gotten worse since the start of the pandemic. Canada pride ourselves to be multicultural, diverse, very inclusive country. And yet this is happening in my backyard in Vancouver. This opportunity to come together is also a call to action for Asians in Canada to abandon a cultural norm that so often keeps them silent. A lot of Asians in particular have a lot of pride in maintaining the sense of face, right? The sense of perfect outward appearance. And they don't like to air out their dirty laundry and that needs to change. It's the start of a conversation organizers say is needed to expose this hidden hate as the number of anti-Asian attacks continues to climb right here at home. John Hua, Global News. A milestone today as all three levels of government come together to celebrate the opening of new native housing in East Vancouver. A four-story, 23-unit project on Boundary in East Vancouver. 
The $10 million Luma Native Housing Project opens on the heels of revelations this weekend about the costs of homelessness. The former tent city at Oppenheimer Park cost Vancouver taxpayers $3.5 million in cleanup and policing costs. Well, this project will be the first affordable housing option serving uh, urban Indigenous households in the neighbourhood. Uh, an area that is accessible for seniors and families close to transit, shopping schools, and other services. The facility will offer rents 15% below market rates, with seven units designated for low-income households. In Health Matters tonight, infectious disease experts say we should prepare for a future with booster shots for COVID-19. But as Global's Julia Wong reports, the timing of when those doses would be administered is still very much up in the air. COVID-19 vaccines are flowing inside this mass vaccination site. It's a relief for many to get their first dose. But this routine could become the norm. Experts say COVID-19 booster shots are looking very likely. If a variant emerges that is not covered by the current immune response generated by the vaccine, then we have an uncovered coronavirus. Modi says second-generation vaccines would then be required. Influenza vaccines are given annually, but Modi says it is not clear how often we'll need more inoculation against COVID-19. That might occur a year, it might occur in three years or five years, um, but it also might occur in six months. And so then it's going to be a race when that variant emerges to develop that vaccine. Infectious disease professor Dr. Elon Schwartz says regular boosting is very possible. He says much of that depends on what happens in the rest of the world. If we're in a situation where you know, the virus has been um, contained and eliminated, we may not need a booster as urgently, but likely what's going to happen is because of the way that there's lag and rollout of vaccination. And that lag could allow for new variants to emerge. We may need to have additional modifications to the vaccine. We may also need an additional uh, vaccine, even without modifications, to boost the immune system. And that we just don't know yet. Schwartz says there will be pressure on the virus to mutate. That's why masking and distancing to stop transmission are so critical. But he says the virus has a global reach and there will always be some hotspots, meaning we should buckle in for the long haul. It's not, unfortunately, something that we're going to be you know, looking at in the rearview mirror. It's going to be an ongoing challenge. Julia Wong, Global News. Still to come, Nanaimo's bike riding wonder kid. He's loved bikes since before he could walk. How the little boy is becoming a social media sensation with more than a million views. Also ahead, the grouse grind is open. What you should know before you go. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It's a summer staple for many fitness fans. The Grouse Grind reopened today. The trail is now open from 7 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Anyone hitting the trail, though, is reminded to maintain their physical distance from others. And you have to make a reservation for the gondola as hiking down is not allowed. People are being asked not to travel from outside their health region right now. Also a reminder, the BCMC trail is closed for upgrades.
Definitely a sure sign that spring is in full swing, but so far it's been pretty quiet on the flood front. Christy joins us now with a look at why we're not necessarily out of the woods yet, though, Christy. That's right, Chris. So we're at the point in the season where we're not going to see any snow accumulation in the snowpack. It's all about snowmelt. And here's a graph that really shows you that. So from today, we're sort of at the peak of the snowpack across the province. And from there, right through to the end of June, that's where we see the most drastic snowmelt. So we'll be watching things really closely in the next several weeks. Now, one thing I wanted to just mention is that through the month of April, we had some good news with that big mid-season or mid-month warm-up. That melted a lot of the snow as well as we had very little precipitation. So about on average, we've had 11% of the snowpack already melt. So that's good news to have that out of the way. Still a couple of areas in green with a near or above uh, average snowpack, which is uh, northern regions, upper Fraser, west and east, Nechaco, central coast, also the lower Fraser and Similkameen. Now, so those are the areas we'll be watching closely, but also those of you in the interior doesn't mean you're in the clear. You're still very susceptible to strong changes in the weather where we could get a big warm-up with heavy rains. Certainly in that type of scenario, we'd be watching all areas very closely. So yes, the next several weeks, certainly uh, very telling when it comes to the flood season. And we'd love it if it continued with the way we've had, which is near seasonal conditions, temperature-wise and very little precipitation. Now tomorrow, we are going to see mostly dry conditions across the province, a little bit of cloud cover. But by Wednesday morning, you can see a pulse of rainfall from the central interior right down through the uh, caribou as well as the Chilcotin and across the south coast. So Wednesday's the one blip in the forecast for the week, everyone. Overall, though, pretty nice week. For tomorrow, though, the central coast will see periods of rain and the northern part of Vancouver Island. Elsewhere, we're talking about sunshine, low 20s, so terrific conditions, and that's the south coast included. 22 degrees away from the water for us here in Metro Vancouver. But again, we'll start to see increasing cloud later tomorrow, bringing in a chance of showers to our region in the morning on Wednesday. But that should clear out pretty quickly. Back to sunshine. Pretty nice week in store for us, that's for sure. And I'll leave you with tonight's central windows weather window. We had several photos of these beautiful sun halos. And basically, it's that high-level cirrus cloud. And the water droplets way up there are actually little ice crystals. And it's those ice crystals that reflect, refract, fract the uh, sunlight and create that beautiful halo, which sometimes you can see a rainbow in that. Very cool. Perfect grind weather. Oh, yeah. Are we going to do the challenge this year, you well, guys? It seems like we've been putting it off. It, we're in a pandemic, so. That's true. That's that seems true. like. But what challenge are you talking about? <laughs> well, remember, we, over the years, yeah, we have I'm, talked about maybe doing this all together. I don't, I don't ever recall the that grind. The gondola goes up as well as goes down, Squire, so. How about if I get on that tram <laughs> thing and cheer you guys on as you go up? Will I be no. able to see you from there? Uh, How about if I wait at the top? With some nice we'll, juice and coffee we'll and cookies you. when you guys get up there. <laughs> All right. Uh, what uh, you got coming up? Okay. We're going to uh, update you on. I, there is still a chance the Canucks could make the playoffs, but it really is that thin. They need Montreal to keep on losing. They need to keep on winning. We'll show you what both of them are doing this evening. And we'll dig in a little deeper to this Kentucky Derby controversy. All right. Look forward to that. Thanks very much, Squire. Also tonight, a Nanaimo Tyke on a bike becomes a TikTok sensation.
Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. Well, talking about the Canucks playoff chances reminds me of a line from Dumb and Dumber when Lloyd Christmas <laughs> yes. says, so there's a chance? Yeah, I'm saying there's a chance, but there's not a lot of a chance. Uh, they do. They do have a chance to make the playoffs, at least going into the games tonight. But of course, you have the same chance of winning the 649. I mean, you could win it, but you probably shouldn't use it as your retirement plan. Uh, Vancouver can't lose any more games for starters, and Montreal can't even get a point. Tonight, the Canucks are in Winnipeg, which is uh, going to be in the playoffs, but really isn't playing like a playoff team right now. The Jets are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, which is exactly what Vancouver is in its last 10 games. BC boy, Laurent Brossois, who has shut out the... Oh, wait a minute, that's not Laurent Brossois. I was going to have him, but instead I went with Travis Green. We'll go with the coach instead. There's Laurent Brossois making a save and then not making the second save on a very heads-up play by Nils Holglander, the rookie scoring again. One of the bright spots for the Canucks this season. Okay, so that made it 1-0. Um, Pearson, Matthew Highmore misses the net, but you kind of see it there. Pearson actually throws it back in front. You'll get a better look here. And then Bo Horvat knocks it in to make it 2-0 for Vancouver in the first. Winnipeg finally gets on the board. Matthew Perot with a nice move here in Harlock. And then Kyle Connors wide open. They left him there. 2-1 after one. Second period, Nate Thompson gets a big chance, but watch Thatcher Demko. Stay with him, stay with him, stay with him, and he doesn't get a good shot away. 2-1 after two. Okay, this is the game Vancouver cares about. Montreal and Edmonton. Oilers have to win this in regulation. We're in the first period. Edmonton has Miko Koskinen in goal. Remember him? Four shots, four goals against the Canucks. Well, he lets that one in by Jake Evans. However, nice pass from Connor McDavid to Dominic Cahoon. That makes it 3-2 in the third. The Canucks get Koskinen again. Arturi Lekkinen. This should not go in. Oh, come on. Short side. So that goal sends it to OT and that point sends Montreal to the playoffs. In the overtime, i got to show you this. Dreisaitl, you know who. He looks for a pass. No, there's no one to pass to. Just do it yourself, Connor. And he scores the winner. Edmonton wins it, but Montreal gets the final playoff spot. So the Canucks and the Flames are now officially out. Vancouver's next game, Vancouver Whitecaps make that next game, is Wednesday against Minnesota. We'll have that one on AM 7.30 with the pregame show starting at uh, 5 o'clock. Christian DeHome is the Whitecaps' leading scorer after four games with three goals this year. The Caps, as a team have scored five, and all five are very similar. Let's review. We have a penalty shot. We have a corner kick. We have a penalty shot. We have a free kick. And we have a corner kick. So no goals off the run of play. But, as Mark DeSanto says, the run of play set these set pieces up. What I like about about the open play part right now is that we are recognizing uh, the moments of transition and we're being very fast 
um, when we have space and behind the opponent. Uh, but but again, the way you get set pieces opportunity is because you do something by open play. Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit is scheduled to run in the Preakness Stakes, the second jewel of the Triple Crown, despite failing a post-race drug test after winning the Kentucky Derby. A failure that could lead officials in Kentucky to disqualify him as a winner and give the win to the second-place horse, Mandaloon. Medina Spirit tested positive for an anti-inflammatory steroid, which you can use during training, but you're supposed to stop using it on your horse 14 days before he races so it clears the horse's system. His trainer, Bob Baffert, says he doesn't know how the steroid got into the horse, and of course, the horse refuses to comment, which is usually the case in these situations. Let's get the latest and hear from Baffert himself. Bob Baffert does it again! Medina Spirit has won the Kentucky Derby! Right after the race, Medina Spirit underwent a drug test. Baffert says the results revealed a higher than allowed amount of beta-methasone in the horse's system. How can that be? We don't, we didn't treat them or with that. We don't even use that. And we're, it's been horrible. I mean, it's just a horrible feeling. It's a trainer's worst nightmare. Over the course of his four-decade career, Bob Baffert has been hit with at least 30 medication violations. Five of those happened in just the last year across three different states. Now, several were overturned on appeal. Baffert suggested to us that Medina Spirit's sample could have been contaminated. How do you overcome the perception that Bob Baffert cheats? Well, I've, we've gone through this, and unfortunately, when you keep winning, and they're testing, and there's... You know, they, it's it's one of those things where we just work hard, you know, and, and I have the best horses. I have the really, I get the uh, 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 best clients, best horses, and and I, I, I can't help it. But, you know, it's, it's, that's my edge is I have the best horses. Okay, if you're wondering, and if you bet this race, all bets are final now. It doesn't matter what the officials oh. decide from here on out. You can't go back and go, hey, my second place horse is now the winner. No, 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 no. Ah, that's already done. Yeah, okay. that's already done. Thanks a lot, Squire. Okay. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, we're following an incident out of Maple Ridge right now, which appears to show a bizarre case of possible road rage. Take a look. We're looking to get more details on this from RCMP, which obviously shows some sort of confrontation in the video with bystanders fleeing the scene and cars on scene left damaged afterwards. Plus, Squire joins us once again with all the latest sports highlights. That's tonight at 11. Chris Sophie. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. And still ahead for us, the tyke on a bike turning heads on TikTok. That's next. When you have more than 35,000 followers on social media, you're probably someone special. Cassius Weemy is a cyclist who lives in Nanaimo. Yeah, and he's blowing up on TikTok because of what he can do on two wheels. Oh, and did we mention he's about two years old? Kylie Stanton has his story. When all you want to do is be on the move, dropping in, taking turns, and hitting every single jump, it's tough to sit still. Mommy, no do I. And even tougher when you're just two half. Translation, two and a half. Yeah. He's loved bikes since before he could walk. His first word after mom and dad was bike, and he was pedaling before he was even two. Cassius Weemy hasn't put on the brakes since. Instead, the pedal prodigy is pushing himself every chance he gets. The goal? 
He's quite the daredevil. He's brave. He just does things. Even if he's scared, I feel like he just overcomes it and he just takes off. Another thing taking off? The toddler's TikTok. Yeah. Weemy's account features videos of him riding trails and working on tricks. He knows his way around a dirt bike as well. In a matter of months, his following has grown to more than 35,000, with some videos getting more than 1 million views. He loves the attention. <laughs> but nothing quite compares to this. Two wheels, two years old, and clearly born to ride. Just watching him do what he loves, it's, it's awesome. Kylie Stanton, Global News. How do you even find a helmet to fit him? I know. That is amazing. By the time he's four, he'll be jumping over the fountains at Caesar's Palace. No kidding, yeah. Did you imagine? It doesn't hurt as much when you only weigh 25 pounds and you fall. It's a little harder mm -hmm. for the bigger kids. Probably true. Mm -hmm. uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy? Sure, I have to do a little shout out to Brayden. He started riding his bike at two years old, and I thought that was amazing. This kid mm. is truly amazing. All right, yeah. so yes, tomorrow more sunshine on the way. Nice and warm, 22 degrees away from the water. So enjoy the weather tomorrow, that's for sure. All right, thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everybody. Night all.